0: Hello and welcome to Getting It Down, capturing the moment of creativity. I'm your host, Andy Gordon, and in this podcast I chat with creative people and ask the questions, what is creativity? How do you be creative and how do you help people express that creativity? These are questions that might be hard to put your finger on, but when you do, you can feel the pulse. So sit back, make yourself comfortable and listen in. Welcome to this episode of Getting It Down, where we're in the house of Dale Miles, a Sydney based sculptor. Thanks so much for having me here, Dale.
1: Thank you, Andy. It's a great pleasure to talk about art at any time.
0: <laughs> We've had a few conversations about art over the years, and um, so I'm really looking forward to today's discussion. You've got a show coming up.
1: Yes, um, it's uh, in October, thanks to um, COVID. Um, and very much looking forward to it. It's, it's, it's with a f- good friend of mine, Dave Horton, uh, who I've worked with for about twenty years now, and very close friend. Uh, and we collaborate from time to time on ideas on how to change the world through art. Sometimes, uh, and and of course with my uh, partner Stephanie, she'll be uh, pa- showing paintings. So it's a good um, it's a good little uh, a group of um, like minds going on there. Uh,
0: yeah looking forward to it oh yeah Mm. we chatted with stephanie in the last episode and that was great um and uh so yeah we'll be getting on to that show and having a look at it as well i'm used to your works being very large pieces and i've i've seen them at uh, places like sculpture by the sea and other exhibitions around the place but most of these sculptures are considerably smaller aren't they
1: they are they are i've um yeah, I've done a, a number of years uh, on very large-scale works, which is what you'd expect of a, a young man in, in uh early career of, of art um, to sort of set up a reputation and show off a little. Um, and I think to a degree they've been fairly successful in that arena. Uh, but, you know, quietly I've been making these other pieces over many years now in... in in somewhat secrecy uh, that are more of a human scale and they have something else to be said uh, about where I'm I'm what I'm interested in in, in sculpture in particular um, and I I like them a lot at this scale I think it's the new uh, scale for me mm. um, I've certainly I, I will still contribute to those large outdoor sculpture shows but not so so much in the future i think it's uh, quite exhausting mm. um you you give a hell of a lot it's uh something you really only want to do every 5 years and for the last 10 to 15 years i've done them every second year so it's um i'm happy to have a rest if for nothing else i'm just being lazy and making these things smaller yeah yeah mm. really mm. well <laughs> to a degree just on the on the 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 level of energy expended, let's say, mm.
0: is it more difficult to create a smaller work? It has its
1: um, it has its own set of rules that um, it's like apples and oranges in a way, although yeah. they they might look like they're made by the same person. So I I suppose people could call my work very, in in a broader sense an optical kind of sculpture. Uh, they have considerations at this scale that are, that relate more closely to uh, the human body um, and how the eye sees at that scale as opposed to the larger pieces um, they have their effect at, at distance um, they have an effect on your body in a very different way almost like it's god over your body where is what i'm doing at the moment is as if i'm god over the the figure or the, the sculpture. So it's a very different thing. Um, what else? I think, there's, I think there's something going on with the maturity of um, what I've found in those larger works that I've been able to put into uh, these new, new pieces, which are primarily figurative as well. Mm. And that's a, a definite shift from works I've made previous, which you could loosely say are architectural. Yes, mm, that's mm.
0: that's a great description. Mm. I would have probably used a similar term, um, although there are there are shapes and forms that are architectural, but yeah, much more figure mm. orientated. This ex- exhibition. Uh, what I
1: would say, Andy, is that this thing that I've been working on for about ten years now uh,
0: is is this, a, the, perspective this the perspective idea? This perspective idea.
1: That's yeah. right. So it's. It's a vein of investigation based on Renaissance um, relief sculpture. And uh, so I think I needed to make all of those architectural versions as a very basic armature to understand how the figure might fit into that. Yeah, right. uh, In the same way that anyone um, learning about how to draw a figure uh, in, in charcoal, let's say, uh. Would would need to set up a very basic cube, let's say, to 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 house that figure or to house that portrait. Right. It's the same applies with this, so it's just a more advanced version, I think. Mm. Mm.
0: Relief sculpture for someone who's listening and doesn't quite know what that means is that the sort of sculpture that one would find on the side of a building rather than the sort of thing that one would walk around in a gallery. Is that a pretty good description?
1: Very much so. Uh, so traditionally a relief sculpture has found uh, It's a type of installation and I don't like to put installation as a thing that's come about in the last 50 to 100 years. I think Bernini was a great uh, installation artist and probably better than anyone who's living today. Uh, And so, yes, definitely they were envisaged for the side of architectural um, forms and to be seen uh, uh, at about no more than 180 degrees and primarily straight on. Uh, and they, what they do, they play on the eye. They play with light and shape and and tone and shadow, in a way that can fool the eye to think that is actually deeper than it that actually physically is. Right. So there's a great optical game going on there. And so what I'm doing with my work, probably in the last ten years, and especially with these figurative works, is to take that language, which is a very particular language that has its flaws, and to um, and to show the viewer how it operates. Um, And by doing that, I take it away from the wall. Mm. Uh, Now, this is something that I haven't seen much of, and I must say it it excites me. Uh, It came about, really, because when I was studying um, these Renaissance masterpieces in Italy, I would often be poking my head around the side, as anyone who makes things does, to work out how they they, they operate. And right. so poking my head around the side, banging your head on the wall, I was like, "Why? this is not fair. I want to see how it's done from the back. Yeah. So then I started to make my own investigations into that um, and uh, found some things that I thought were fairly new. And that is a world that I've been happily mining for some time now. Yeah, um, Still made by the hand. Always, that's very important for me. Um, I know there are some people who are working... In a similar feel, I mean the work may, be, may look similar at a distance but I think fundamentally they're very different. Um,
0: mm. These are very livable pieces too, like I can imagine them being almost anywhere um, whereas I guess some of the large scale sculpture is designed with something specific in mind or you know, you need a fairly large area to put it in.
1: Yeah, true.
0: Well, I mean, do you imagine these being almost anywhere?
1: I could, yeah, very much so, Any, I think they need to be in a place that has, um, uh, that is at a human scale. So it has to be in a room or it could be in a courtyard. It's not something you put out in the field easily. I think the scale, well, scale in general is very difficult to deal with outside. You can make a monstrosity you Where you believe it to be a monstrosity in your studio, and you put it out in the field or a large sculpture show and it becomes a postcard, that's very disappointing. Uh, So these these need some form of architecture around it, whether that's someone's lounge room or courtyard or small garden. Uh, These could quite easily go outside, but it has to be a controlled exterior um, space. Uh, Certainly I do make the works, and this is different to relief in one way, Relief has a very controlled um, light source on the whole Mm -hmm. um, because of its flatness. Because these are three-dimensional, you can walk around them. Uh, I try to compose the light and the shadow with multiple facets uh, to to consider um, there. that's hard to do, I must say. I do start with a singular source, but then it quickly goes awry and I have to have multiple sources um, playing a part in its final... um, uh, version.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. What are these sculptures made out of for this show?
1: Most of them What's are made that? out of uh, a a type of cement. It's a gypsum cement called hydrocal uh, or hydrostone, which is, I suppose, it's just a type of cement really. Um, so you've got all these various types of um, hardnesses in in gypsum. Uh, one of the, the most basic one is plaster, but then you work up the scale. And you can get to hydrostone. I think you could perhaps even consider cement a type of um, um, uh, gypsum base. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they're sort of in the middle of uh, hardness. So they're versatile in terms of being able to be carved uh, or even modelled to a degree
0: uh, and sanded, etc. I think it's probably difficult for a um, someone listening to visualise what's happening Um, (laughs) yes is it possible to explain the idea of the perspective if we if we're looking at it in our mind's eye hmm okay Um, well
1: uh, it's probably easier to explain what's happening first in a in a smaller architectural form yeah now some of your listeners might know a work of mine that was shown at Sculpture by Sea in 2015. Uh, it was a small bus stop, uh, only about two to two and a half metres high. And in it, what I'm doing is um, I'm presenting the viewer with a very a very simple view, in a way, of a bus stop, but it's in three-point perspective. Now, that is essentially setting up uh, three points where the, the lines of the architectural form would converge on a horizon as it were so two on the horizon then one above and so most of the the bus stop as it were conforms to that law um the tricky part in my sculpture of course is that it's it is three-dimensional you walk around it and so at, at one point those laws have to be swept aside for some other rationale to take place um that's the bit I can't really put my finger on. I must say, yeah. as to what's going on there, it's a felt thing. Yes, um, it's certainly okay. So I'll leave it at that for that point. So what I what I'd say is that once I do get some kind of visual logic happening there in the work, whether it be uh, uh, the architectural pieces or the the figurative pieces, then a lot of the other parts do comply to that. Uh, and we were speaking earlier about one of the figurative pieces, how you, you come to uh, accept this, these ridiculous proposition, visual propositions after some time. Mm. And I think it's a way of, I think there's a great limitation in the human eye. Uh, and I'm trying to show where these limitations might sit and how they can be played with uh, for the benefit of overall, for the benefit of the viewer to understand a Uh, perceptually a deeper state of of the work Uh, uh, yes it's a bit mysterious to me which is how I like to keep it somewhat Mm. Uh, there are artists that I look at continually because they offer me more and more uh, uh, insights into uh, what I'm doing Uh, they're, they're great for a reason because they're The gems that they've imbued in the work just keep coming out. You've Mm. just got to stay with them. And I hope to put that into my own work to a degree, that if you stay there, you will get rewarded in time uh, with new ways of seeing.
0: Well, it's interesting that you say that because I can remember the sculpture that you're talking about from Sculpture by the Sea, and I think that was pretty early in the in the this exploration that Mm, you're doing definitely and i remember it was really unsettling yes yes, um and there was a feeling of of giddiness and and discomfort looking at it and it was a very complex thing to get your head across it didn't give everything away to begin with and um I think I've then watched you develop this this idea further over the years to the point where now I'm looking at these new works and I'm really I'm there I'm very comfortable with them my brain is making up the difference <laughs> or it's <laughs> it's almost um happy to see a new perspective right yes we were yeah. talking before about how um before we started the podcast uh, I asked you is it true that the eye is the thinking still that the eye turns things upside down and then the brain puts it back the right way mm-hmm. and um, and we reckon yeah that's the, still the current thing yes well, and um, and I I couldn't help but thinking looking at these these new works that the the difference in the perspective my brain was slowly getting better at actually enjoying and seeing it in a playful way. And in right. A,
1: well, uh, you know. I hope to have that effect to, to a degree. Uh, I must say, um, you're not alone there. I do definitely feel giddy in the early stages of creating, but I know that that, that, will, um, that will calibrate in time and uh, uh, there will be something found after that settles, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: It'd be a cheap shot if that was all you were going for. <laughs> yes, was, I think, and it's not, so it's so clear that's not what you're no, going
1: there's, for. No, there's lots of dimensions, and these have taken some years to make and to finally realise as a as a language. Um, they are all slightly different, as you'd hope, in any body of works, and there are different modes of perspectival and um, perceptual um fields investigated in each. And that's something that I really uh, need to do Um, as an artist. You know, it needs to be a proper exploration. Mm. It can't be homework, otherwise why are we doing it? Uh, It needs to feel at least like you're contributing something to that lineage perhaps. Mm. Um, And I've just been lucky to stumble upon something here uh, that's giving me great pleasure in in finding Mm. Uh, and I hope that uh, transfers through to the the viewer when they experience them. Uh, Some people will hate it but that's absolutely fine as well.
0: Of course it is, yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. They're just not um, on the same page, that's okay. Oh, that's fine. Mm. Uh, I know that some of these works are done or constructed, if you like, differently. Um, What's what's the process ah
1: well um, i i love to model i love to carve uh, so i've combined the two processes they're two different in, things they are very they? different that's right mm. they're they uh i'm not sure if um they naturally go together very well but i found a way of combining them somewhat um uh, so when I get an idea, it, it actually starts as a drawing to a degree. Just well, there's, there's another question. How yep.
0: does the idea begin? Mm,
1: I think that's – for a lot of artists that I admire, they do draw a lot and they try to crystallise something, not all of it, but just something of what is bugging the hell out of them <laughs> uh, on paper at start with uh, – Knowing that there's you needed to leave enough for the final form, whatever it be, in whatever medium, um, so it always starts as a, a little sketch of some sort or multiple sketches, and then I might do some uh, reliefs, straight reliefs, so that is to say, straight on a board, uh, where they might protrude from the drawing, as it were. And so, I've made some sculptures about that process as well. Um, we quite obviously see this a morpheus cloud created in the drawing, it gets some crystallization in the line, then some actual physicality occurs, so the, the relief starts to grow out of that, then it gets full three-dimensionality, and so it's showing a process there. There's something that Michelangelo, one of the great sculptors, uh, shows in his work. He shows this, the start and the end of the work and even the destruction of the work, and I think that's an important part as well. Uh, so yes, I, I start with a drawing I might... Um, find a, an appropriate scale for where that sculpture might feel right. And then I start to model um, with clay uh, to get at least one side, so a tradition, like I was saying, a traditional uh, relief. From there, then I might take... Are you
0: firing at that point, thinking no. about so many other opportunities or are you really quite singularly focused on that first change as well Uh, well
1: i i don't fire the works per se Uh, in the clay i always keep it in a puttyable state right and wet and so from there if i have at least one side of the the work then i will take a cast of that and maybe replicate it again in uh in the cement
0: right
1: and then work it again with clay on the back let's say right um that's one process and then that will So it becomes a combination of a a cast version of the modelled piece with new modelled pieces on the back. And then that gets cast again. So a waste mould, that is to say, if listeners are unsure of what a waste mould is, it's essentially plaster, a cheap plaster, flicked onto the surface in two parts and then separated. And then the contents of the original removed and then you pour a slightly harder version of the material in there and then chip away the exterior. This is something that Rodan would use extensively in his um, sculpturing career. Uh, And then I've got the final, what looks like the final, and then I can go ahead and carve into that because I absolutely love carving and I I see great potential in getting attention to the surface. Uh, There's a fineness that you can achieve there that the Egyptians do so well Mm. in their relief carving that I don't want to miss out on. Uh, you know when you're carving you sort of visualize it as removing onion skin at a time or thinner or or taking a piece of paper away from a stack of papers so you've got these multiple opportunities to find the final Mm. state uh this is something of Michelangelo and his contemporaries did extensively you know when you're looking at a Michelangelo you're not looking at the, the first go. First he would make multiple drawings, multiple studies and modeled to a life-size uh, modeled piece and then he would make the final or in the making of the final in the, uh, in the, in the marble that he was working with he'd be reducing from that exterior down to the final so he might have to do 20 versions of that. To find the final. So you're looking at 40 or 50 versions before you see the final thing. Right. Uh, So that's often hidden because he would destroy all those earlier versions. Uh, And so that's what I try. I I like the process. Mm. I like the time it takes to get there because really for me, an idea has to come out of the material and the process. Uh, And I think they're the most profound ideas in visual art. I think it's very limited to have an idea to start with and then try and execute it. As I was saying before, that feels like homework and is often very limited into its its great potential as a an artistic form. Uh, so I, the reason I spend so much time is that I know that there something good will come out of that uh, that is more profound than me in a way. You know, And artists, and you probably know this in your own uh, musical career, Andy, is that, you know, when really good stuff comes out, then it's you feel like you're just a witness. You're not actually the creator. Mm. You're just grateful that something's come down the line and you've been given this thing. Uh, it's not uh, something that you have done. It's mm. not an ego thing. Um, mm, mm.
0: What a lovely way of putting it. <laughs> um, that risk too, I guess, um, as you begin to... The next part, that carving,
1: yes, yes,
0: um, must be quite heady as well.
1: It's it, it was originally when I was younger. <clears throat> I started very young, I started when I was 12, uh, working for a master who was um, a royal academician. And so, certainly, there's there's risk there, and it's very nerve wracking. But I see the potential for the thing to be destroyed as probably one of the great viewers of, um, Power and uh, uh, interest in the work. I know that this was a very important part of Radhan's making, is that, you know, there's great skill there to bring it up to a point. It really is when you have given up on it and would like to see the thing destroyed that something can arise that could never have happened before. And Mm. it's that. That moment just before the final blow, before that, you're just about to take the head off it or take the arm off, uh, that you see something. Maybe it puts you in a particular state that you could never get in normally. You see something anew, and that becomes the work of what the work is about. Mm. Uh, there's a, a piece that we ha- can see here that's um, on the wheels there. It died about three times, and not by my hand, I must say. It was some terrible rains that came down through the smoke uh, and I happened to leave it outside and it got eaten by this acid rain that's created by the te- heavy smoke from the bushfires and so that actually played a part in the in the surface tension of the work and uh, the sense that it is de- dematerializing somewhat it also fell apart twice because I dropped it it's just too heavy, uh, so I had to mend some parts, and that created a interesting distortion on its shoulder where the arm dropped off. It's <laughs> so all these things that, uh, at this point. I'm sort of actively neglecting the sculptures on the edge of the table, yeah. So yeah. hoping that they'll fall over or they'll do something, yeah. I, I know that this is a, an intrinsic part of what is taught at art institutes of the happy accident, right? Uh, and I, I've vouch for it it's really yeah. important
0: yeah okay mm-hmm. <laughs> this work that you're talking about um is a is a figure and i guess she's sort of it's a she isn't it
1: sorry the the
0: one on the ground Yeah. Is that, you no that's a that's a bloke work? he's just
1: got a really nice ass
0: <laughs> so he's a fella and he's lying down on his front and he's got his Shoulders up in the air a little bit. Yeah, yeah he's
1: um, sort of sunbaking in the nude with yeah, a book in his hand. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: a little sphinx-like but not yes. quite. He's certainly not quite as peaceful. And um, from the front he has a mixture of what you're talking about with the, um, the modelling and then he also has elements of, of carving. Yes, yes. From behind where the perspective really starts to begin to play, where the points diminish very rapidly you're seeing the back of him and his legs and as dale says it has got a great bottom and um and everything is wrong but and it's probably it's probably the strangest work in the collection mm. for my money but um even it is becoming quite comfortable to look at for me and i'm i think as i become more aware of the idea or just my brain perhaps becomes happier with the with the shift in perspective, it doesn't seem unusual anymore. Interesting, yes. And and that idea that you are getting in behind the sculpture is really exciting. Yeah, it's
1: something that I happened upon with a uh, um, at arts my first art school. Um, it was an exercise we did with a with my teacher at the time, Kevin Norton, who was a really fascinating man, and uh, <coughs> he he showed us how we could um visualized sculpture and a space from a a given masterpiece and he uh i think the one at the time was las maninas by velasquez uh which is a a mysterious piece and, and probably one of the most interesting paintings ever made in um in western art we had to visualize the figures and the objects in the space and make a three-dimensional version of it is extremely hard to do Mm. Uh, but to put your mind there um, was extraordinarily enthralling uh, and I kind of got hooked on it and and had sort of secretly been doing these little exercises and not really showing them for from then on and so In a way, these are born out of that first experience trying to visualise a space that is essentially two-dimensional and trying to uh, re-give it new life and and space. Mm.
0: Uh, Yeah, it's... um, In the context of that exercise mm. too, it's a space that you weren't privy to.
1: Absolutely, and possibly the space didn't exist ever. Uh, Some of these artists who made the works were... As we know, they're greats for a reason, and and they they could invent spaces and mm. fool the eye significantly enough. Now, saying that the space uh, was probably real in that particular instance, and and the sitter certainly was, being the the infant of the king and and queen at the time of, of Habsburg dynasty. Uh, but you know, it's hard to know, hard mm. to know what was invented and what wasn't. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. So so in a way, uh, painting has played a big part and, and drawing has played a big part in these works. They are optical, they are pictorial. There are things that Relief traditionally shares from the two-dimensional world there that often isn't able to be commented on in in the proper sculpture field, that is to say the in-the-round sculpture. Mm. Uh, so things like atmosphere, something that's very particular to painting, can actually be shown in in relief.
0: Uh, How?
1: It's the way that you diminish the edges. Right. uh, And that you let things go slightly out of focus as they move back in the very reduced space. Uh, This is very hard to do in three-dimensional, in-the-round sculpture. Something like, say, Rodin really pushed the the in-the-roundness of his work. Uh, That's hard to show. That's what excites me, that, this particular type of thing that I'm working with now can still show those things that Leonardo had over Michelangelo with his painting. I can show atmospheric perspective. No, no, no. no. You can only sculpt uh, uh, things in space.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, There must have been the rivalry too, do you think?
1: I think there absolutely was and and they're chronicled. Uh, on oh, a number a number of occasions it's really? right yes uh often they would have direct competition on the same in the same medium so there was, a, there was an occasion in uh what was then the sort of town hall of of Florence uh when Leonardo was middle aged and Leonardo's I mean Leonardo was middle aged and Michelangelo was quite a young man uh where they had to design a a wall painting each, and um, typically uh, Leonardo kind of—they they both abandoned the work in the end for for lots of reasons. Uh, but Leonardo kind of—I I, th- I think—lost that one because, although he finished the work per se, his his modes and his mediums he used were often experimental and. I think the last um, process for him was to set this type of resin that was in the paint and to do that you he needed heat so he had a, a fire underneath the wall and essentially melted his own work oh. before his eyes. You could imagine the giggle yeah. that Michelangelo would have been having at that fact. am <laughs> saying that Michelangelo didn't actually end up painting the thing, I don't think. I think he only got to cartoon stage which is a one-to-one drawing essentially on on papers
0: uh yeah (laughs) great oh my goodness um i think we know what happens when you hit a wall creatively Mm. um because i guess you've hinted at it you're you're not um too worried about knocking its head off no, no but what what happens when you really thought you were onto something and you start to become disillusioned or disappointed is it the same mm-hmm. do you just take an axe to it or a hammer to it or do you push uh, on
1: often I'll leave it actually and I think just in time uh, something will come along that will fit it again um, yeah I'll just put it outside let it get rained on or flooded on uh, or just put it in a corner and then happen upon it I've got a piece in the studio that I've been toying with for about 20 years now I still don't know what to do with it but things have come and gone I've made little marquettes uh, scale marquettes for it to see if I can push it again oh. uh, I don't think they're ever wasted they're just they're just you know, they the grist for the mill we just chuck them in and we use it later on down the road and even if it is a complete failure, whatever you have found in that can be used again in another work. It's never lost. I mean, it's um, it'll find its way to the surface some other mm. time. Uh, I, I must say the old writer's block is a thing that baffles me because in a way and I've got umpteen thousand drawings sitting over there and I, I really need some assistance <laughs> to get Just through this in a lifetime. Them. Yeah, yeah. It's... um. I never really got writer's block. I think, well, you really only have to breathe in and breathe out, and something will come in in front of your eyes. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm not a writer, so I can't really. Well, comment that's an on interesting
0: that. parallel, though, isn't it? I mean, mm. I guess um, writing's a different pursuit, mm. and mm. and but perhaps it is possible to get a bit more stuck on the original idea. And be performing the homework concept that you're talking about, and maybe uh, it's only in surrendering and allowing the change and the uh, and the happy accident, or the way that things might evolve as you allow it to happen and yep. just stop trying to control it. Um, but but that's probably. I don't know. i now. I can only speak for myself. That's the fearful moment. It's also the marvelous moment. And when you really do feel like you're on something, when you can let that go, but mm, mm. Um, maybe maybe your practice uh, allows you to do that more easily, or to um,
1: yeah. Look, I it's different for each work. I must say. Mm. Um, on the whole, uh, when I'm starting a piece. I'm just very curious to see if we can get anything going. I sort of start with nothing in a funny way. I've got a drawing, but it's so loose mm. that you've got lots of variables there to play with. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, it wasn't always like that. I must say. I think I think I have done a, enough homework in my <laughs> my youth. Yeah, it was more of a state of, and that, that served me well to a degree in terms of building up a skill base where you don't have to think about what the hand is doing there's no there's no handicap there pardon the pun between the brain and the hand it's, it becomes it flows mm. as it were uh, yes that is a that is a Hard one to answer, I must say. Yeah, but I think
0: uh, isn't it interesting? I think, and th- what well, this is what I'm hoping for these discussions too is mm. that I feel like I will take some of that away in my practice and find a new way. Ah, yes, which is exciting. Um, yep, yep. I- well,
1: I just stole it from someone else. Probably, you know, Michelangelo, Rodin. You know, they they just. I mean, there's a great piece I saw in Milan when I was there 20 years ago, called the Rondonini Pieta, and it spans, I don't know, well they've got a piece here that was made 27,000 years ago, it's a its a replica of a Venus Willendorf, um, and, you know, that one piece, the Rondonini Pieta, by Michelangelo, speaks to this, and it also speaks to the last 20 years of sculpture, so there's a huge span of time there. Uh, he destroyed it essentially or half of it it was a it was a late piece of his his final piece um, not made for any particular commission so it was for the adoration of uh, being a very pious man very religious man it it was a it was a pieta which means a pity which is the dead christ in the arms of the madonna and uh, it's it looks like it's gothic you know the elongation of the the bodies harkens back to the 11th century rather than the century he was in he'd just come out of a period where all his figures were very very broad they look like landscapes or big blocks of stone uh, even when he painted them Uh, so it was a breakthrough piece for him Mm. and something wasn't working between the christ's head or upper body in the madonna's and he just took a hammer to it and blew the whole top off and it it looked terrible and the arms still sitting there like a pinnacle by itself but what happened then he kept, kept reworking that and the body of the madonna and the christ came together as one and there was something in that about the whole spiritual loading of of what that meant mm-hmm. it also was and this is something he had done for most of his life. But it was a very good example of the direct carving, uh, which came about, it really came to the forefront of a sculpture in, uh, with um, Rodin and uh, his student, um, uh, Constantine Brancusi. And uh, he Const- uh, Brancusi primarily pushed that. So it speaks to Brancusi as well. Uh, yeah it's it's an extraordinary piece for how it's a time traveler. Mm. You know, you where, which era did it come from? Mm. Uh but he had to destroy it for it to be to become potent. Uh and maybe he didn't even see in his life the importance of it
0: for western art. It's possible. Uh, isn't it? mm, mm. Yeah, it's a wonderful piece. Goodness. Um describe for us your studio or your workspace. What what's happening there? Well, it's it's very much a
1: shed. Uh, in the great Australian tradition of the shed, great things come out of sheds. Mm. Well, I'm just suggesting that, but some great inventions have come out of sheds in this country, I must say. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a a place of, you know, isolation and reclusiveness, which is, suits me down the ground. It's very messy. Yeah. Uh, and I think, like all great things in life and valuable, worthwhile things, They start with a mess. (laughs) Children, eating, sex, all of those things that are valuable. Yeah. There's a great mess attached to them.
0: (laughs) Well, I have been in there and it is messy. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah. And you won't come away without some stain on you. That's right. uh, You know, it's it's very bad for you. And there'll be evidence as well. Absolutely. Yeah, you can't rob my house. Just follow the footsteps. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there's you know there's gypsum cement and stuff all over the place and it's it's quite dangerous in one sense i suppose. i suspect but i think out of that uh primordial ooze ideas that do arise so there can be just like i was suggesting before you know there might be a head of something it just happened to have fallen on something else and then it on an arm that might be left over It's all these body parts everywhere as well mm. it looks terrible uh and then that speaks to me about where a sculpture could go or how it could be right. realised. Right. Um, a drawing of a head or a, a body part might fall on a, a sculpture. There's this interesting play between the really insanely flat and the fully rendered. Uh, so I really encourage the mess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, it's I work. part of it. It's definitely part of it. Right. And, uh, yeah, I th- I wouldn't encourage people to to um, clean when they approach art. I, you know, I have taught at um, some tertiary institutes in the past, and uh, I think probably one of the first things to get the student to forget is to is their habits about cleanliness. Right. Uh, there is a letting go, a natural letting go that needs to take place when you're thinking about painting or sculpture or drawing uh it's part of the deal. Mm.
0: How hard is that to to get across?
1: It's different for each student. Um some just are naturally like that and yeah. you only have to Say I mean they're it's really okay. Uh, yeah, you yeah, <laughs> actually have to tighten them up a bit. They're, <laughs> they're out there. Uh I don't know. Some, some are impossible. Um you know, there's people I've taught who um well, I wouldn't say I've taught them actually. Uh, well, I've talked to uh, who, no matter how hard they try, they just won't be able to do it. It's it's maybe go. the wiring the their mind just won't can't go there. Uh, and some that you only have to give the smallest sentence to once every six months, and they can use every kernel of that information and then grow tremendously. Uh, that's kind of why art schools should be. Maintained for just those those guys that that need that.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And you're working at a school these days too, mm. as, as a, a secondary um, element to your life. Mm. Uh, what's that like working with young people? I mean, they'd be younger than art school. They would.
1: They? Yeah. Well, look, I'd call the place um, like a university for twelve-year-olds. It's 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 a right. bit different from your average high school. And certainly, very—it's um, great pleasure to work yeah. there. It's um,
0: how has that changed your practice of, of sculpture or, or making art, or has it?
1: It hasn't, in terms of its uh, uh, what I'm doing. It in terms of what I finally produce. It has. Uh, I don't think it's changed the form of my sculpture. It's changed the way I organise my life to allow me to sculpt. For more time, uh, strangely enough, I hadn't worked full time. Well, yes, I had a little, but before I started this gig, uh, I hadn't worked that intensity before. Right. Uh, for an employer, and I thought that's it. I can't continue a practice at all. Right. This is going to be impossible. Yes. At the workload, but strangely enough, yeah, one of the time. Yeah, the time. Mm. But strangely enough, I mean. Uh, I've I've made more work in those years than I had previous. <laughs> mm. So it really is just being smart about how to condense things down to allow you to get maximum time and money in the right place. Yeah, uh, yeah strange.
0: Is some of that a maturity too or do you think it was just born of the reality of having a full-time job?
1: I think it was a bit of both. Right. But, um, yeah, look, I've got really fantastic people that i work with and they they had systems that work for them and so i was really just listening and learning to what uh, what they were doing mm. um uh, yeah and they're often all um, practitioners themselves so it made sense mm. um one of the rare things about the high school i work at is um is that everyone is a practitioner yeah that's um very odd it is mm. isn't it so the boys are extraordinarily lucky for that yeah. Mm,
0: mm. yeah, it strikes me they must be.
1: Oh And we get some great boy, I mean, uh, like you were asking before, uh, these boys, they're, they're like art students I hadn't come across before, where you, you say, "Oh, why don't you just have a look at this person, this artist, and maybe could try this or that, and you come back and they've made something far beyond what you imagined that they could make. Mm. Uh, they already have this level of maturity that is far beyond their years, and that um, that's a pleasure. Mm. Yeah, it really is.
0: Mm. Yeah, it would be quite something, I imagine. <laughs> and it happens um, regularly, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. We get we get good results. Um, and uh, some of our boys go on to become professional artists, and that's really wonderful. Um,
0: Do you have a feeling for the percentage?
1: I think it's probably in a cohort of maybe 30 boys, you might get one or two. Yeah. Which is still pretty high.
0: However, yeah. many of them would go off with a much broader, um, more amazing view of the world too. Absolutely. From, from that education. Absolutely. For goodness sakes. Yeah. Sake,
1: yeah. You know. yeah. Uh yeah, they'll they'll do great things, no doubt. Uh, and uh yeah, they as I say, they you know, it's one of those places that uh allows the student time to develop something to its full measure. Uh, I'm not sure if that's able to be done easily in the context of high schools these days. Mm. Uh, Yeah, that's, I think, something we've we've hung on to and uh, Mm. is admirable about the place.
0: What is creativity, Dale?
1: Ooh, uh, that's a wily one. Wow. Well... Hmm. In its broader sense, possibly, I think it's what it means to the high point of humanity, I think it is. Hmm. Uh, what did we do? We, meaning hominids, first up. Once we've nailed our shelter and our food, what did we do? Did we choose economics? No. <laughs> <laughs> did we, you know, what did we do? We... We scrawled something in the ground. We might have picked up a bone, drilled some holes in it and made some sounds. And all of a sudden there's a, a series of sounds that go together that have something that would come to mean harmony. And why? Mm. Why did we do that? This, this thing, this beautiful thing, why do we need to do that? Why do, I think creative is the, the will for beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pursuit of beauty, but for no reason other than itself, uh, I think it it lies at the centre of what it is to be a human, is what it is. Um, you know, I've had students come back after making a big mistake to become this or that, high-flying, high-powered um, careers, which have been very successful, but there's this niggling thing deep at their core that they need to pursue a drawing for some reason why uh, i think i could probably only answer that that
0: question with another question
1: <laughs> mm. it's a hard
0: one it's a great answer it's a really great answer thank you so very much for having me here in your place and and chatting about your practice it's really been a, a thrill and best wishes for the exhibition. I really look forward to getting on to that.
1: Thanks so much, Andy. thrill's all mine.
0: <laughs> very, very nice. Well, you've been listening to Getting It Down, conversations about creativity. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and please tell your friends about it. That'd be lovely. Remember to subscribe and join us for the next exciting episode.